As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. The minor league season has begun, so we'll talk about a few observations from opening day there. We're going to bring back Prospect of the Week already. It took one day of minor league games for Prospect of the Week to come back to life. Uh, we'll talk about some things that we think might be actionable with prospects coming out of 2020. Of course, all the missing information from last year is going to lead teams and prospect analysts and keeper and dynasty league players to have to make quicker decisions about players and their evaluations of those players. I've uh, got some really good stuff here about X stats too. some questions that are rolling in. So we'll get to those later on in the show. But, you know, let's uh, let's just start with some minor league chatter. And I... I'm excited to have the games back because I, I love minor league stats. I love seeing highlights from prospects, and it didn't take long for Wander Franco to make some highlights, three hits in his debut at AAA Durham. The starting assignments for a lot of prospects was something that I was very interested in as those started to roll out last week, and I think it gives us a pretty good understanding of where organizations are, are seeing players from a development standpoint, how far did they go in a game in a year without games? You know, like if, if Wander was an A ball player pre pandemic and he's a triple A guy now, obviously I think he's knocking on the door being big league ready. That, that's kind of an obvious, that's like a low hanging fruit one that we already knew. But when we see it with a guy like Alec Manoa in the Jays organization, a college pitcher who only pitched at short season ball, which doesn't even exist anymore. When we see a guy like that start at AAA, that really moves the needle for me as something that gives me a lot of confidence in his chances of not only being a big league contributor this year, but also being a lot better than I probably would have ranked him going into 2020. Like there's, to me, there's actually some value in just the assignments themselves. Yeah, and there's some organizational differences and philosophies at hand about how to value that that time, you know, the instructional league, the alternate site, um, and uh, what to do about that. 
you know, like Kelnick is at Triple A, and um, you know, I think the, the the Blue Jays looked like they were pretty aggressive. Same time, um, I guess because of the injuries, maybe the Mariners still put Julio Rodriguez in a ball. You know, um, and so there there are differences within organizations, and then there are differences from organization to organization. There's a fair amount of organizations that seem to be like, and I think it probably also has to do with just how, um, where your major league team is in the wind cycle, right? The Blue Jays look like they're ready to go. They kind of want to see Manoa against top competition. They want to be aggressive with him because of all the things that they need in the major league team, it's pitching. You know, and so, uh, you know, as mm-hmm. one farm director said to me before this whole thing went down, he said, if I've got major league pitch grades and th- this is, you know, this whole stuff thing that I do and, and command stuff, uh, command and stuff like they have numbers like that that are different from the numbers that you would see in a box score. Right. And so they're evaluating their players based on stuff and command and they have grades on their on their pitchers, on their pitches on each pitch. Uh, that are like basically a stuff grade and a command grade on every pitch. And one farm director was saying, uh, I have, uh, if I have major league pitch grades on these grades, on these pitches, why am I pitching them in the minor leagues? You know, like, why am I wasting any time? Why don't I just put them in the major leagues? And so I think that's where probably the Blue Jays come from. I know they're very analytically inclined. You know, they might just be looking at Manoa's pitches and be like, we don't have anything to tell them anymore. You know, like we like in terms of the pitch grades, like they all they're all good. Like he's getting the ride that we want. He's getting the drop that we want. He's like all that he needs to do is sort of figure out how to game plan and uh, and get batters out and sequence and stuff like that. So let's put him in triple A and see how he does against advanced competition and then get him in the major league. So, yeah. Um, definitely some philosophical differences and then, you know, some player by player differences as well. Yeah. And I think for Manoa, we're talking about a guy who's now 23. He was the 11th overall pick in 2019, pitched collegiately at West Virginia. So he was going to be a relative fast track to the big league sort of guy. But just seeing how much they're into him right now gets me really excited. It makes me think that we could get to a point this season where, you know, Ryu, a healthy Nate Pearson, and Manoa could be the first three starters in that rotation. And that changes a lot about what the Blue Jays might look like. If that materializes for the final two months of the season and they're hanging around in the playoff race, that makes them a lot more dangerous. Yeah, yeah. And then you have uh, some really exciting guys like C.J. Abrams, um, who was a high school pick, right? Yeah, Abrams... Yeah, Abrams is uh, same as Bobby Witt Jr., but same draft Witt was class. was a little bit older, but still a high schooler. Bolton Double A, pretty exciting. I mean, um, the Royals have maybe a need on the infield, and so they might be press pushing him a little bit uh, before that. The Padres don't have a need, but I would say that's an organizational thing. The Padres just seem aggressive. You know, they just they just move their guys. You know, they they put Tatis in the big leagues from day one. You know, they're just like, we like this guy. He's here. You know, we like that guy. We're going to trade for him. <laughs> like this. I, I, there's something I dig about uh, the way they work. Well, I think they make a lot of their organizational decisions the way we want teams in general to approach it. Take your best players in your organization. 
put them on the field at the highest level as soon as they're ready. I mean, it's something that it's unique to baseball that we have to wait sometimes extra years before guys get these opportunities. I think with Abrams, if you're looking at a top prospect list right now, if he doesn't debut this year or doesn't get enough time in the big leagues late in the year to burn off his prospect eligibility, he could be the consensus number one prospect in the game by season's end with graduations, right? We're expecting Wander to come up in the next few weeks, probably, if everything goes well with his start at AAA. He'll graduate from Liss. Kelnick will probably graduate from Liss. Adele will either graduate or regress. <laughs> like, right, yeah, either, yeah. He'll either graduate and we'll be like, okay, that was good, or he'll be in the minor league still and he won't be a number one pick, one number one prospect anymore. Yeah, so you're probably looking at Julio Rodriguez versus Witt if he doesn't come up, which I think is unlikely, versus Abrams, and then there's probably a drop already. I mean, Andrew Vaughn, if he gets sent down relatively soon, would still be prospect eligible. Otherwise, he's going to graduate. Maybe Marco Luciano is the other guy that has a, a chance to stake that claim. But I could see Abrams, if if there's a significant injury in San Diego, and we saw it once already with Tatis going on the IL, that injury didn't seem to be as bad as we initially feared, thankfully. If they were to lose a key player for a long time, Abrams can play other spots. Like I think there is a chance for him to have a meaningful role before the end of the year if there's a need or if he just forces the issue with his own performance in the upper levels of the minors. Yeah, it seems like center or second so could be pretty, pretty easy for him. Um, you know, provided they gave him a little time to adjust. So, I want to ask you though. We've talked about this a few times because decisions to make drops have come up five or six times already this season. How much longer are you waiting for Wander in redraft leagues? It's sometimes you don't have the choice. You have enough injuries. You have to let someone like this go. If you waited this long, now that he's playing at Durham. It's very tempting to say, I have to cling for the next three weeks. I have to wait until the end of the month. And if he doesn't get the call by the first weekend in June, at that point, maybe I'll go ahead and, and let him go in redraft leagues. I mean, is it fair to keep holding on to him if you've waited this long? If Willie Adamas was, you know, hitting on the level that he did in 2018 or 2019, uh, I mean, 20, he was league average, or last year, I mean, Yes, then I would say maybe drop him because Willie Adamas looks like at least a league average guy and there's just not that sort of need. And they might even use Taylor Walls if there was a short-term need, you know, Repl like literally replace 4%. He's not even projected to be that good. Uh, so like his true talent estimations have changed. Now the bat thinks he can still manage to, to hit 243, basically be league average the bat and maybe be a league average player. But... When you are a team like the Rays, um, there is also some pressure beyond league average where, let's say, Willie, Willie Adams against lefties is one thing, you know, and Willie Adams against righties is another. So what if um, Willie Adams and uh, Joey Wendell at third base as a platoon is actually a three-war situation? And Wander Franco himself is a three-war situation. That would be better for the Rays, who have championship aspirations, than sort of delaying the service time and keeping another league average guy around. And So anyway, I think there's a lot of arrows pointing towards... especially, And then you add in Wanda Franco at AAA. They didn't even put him at AA, you know, AAA. I think that uh, we're about two weeks away from Wanda Franco in the big leagues. 
Now, having said that, if you were in a, a shallow mixed league, like an 8, 10, maybe a 12 team, or he's still out there, you probably have to pick him up now if you want to get him. So you have to hold him for a couple of weeks, even in those shallow leagues. Do you think we're going to get enough of an immediate payoff with the bat to justify picking him up even in the shallowest of leagues? That I'm not so sure of because one of the things that, uh, you know, what the reports that we've gotten along the way, and then we've passed them along to you here, is that, um, you know, he may not have uh, a power hitter's launch angle, you know, per se. And you've got uh, sort of a wide variety of possible outcomes uh, for him. And a lot of those don't include league average power. So, you know, full season in his first season, you might be talking about a guy who can hit 280 and 12 homers and 15 steals. You know. It's a good player, though. It's a good player, but like in a ten-team league, yeah, it's closer to replacement level. It's like in Jake Cronworth out there. <laughs> I guess the way you have to look at it, though, it's the it's the probability of getting something better, and then knowing if you have the discipline, if he's not exceeding that level of production, to replace him with somebody who is when the time comes, because he might be better than that. The rapid growth potential for a player like Wander is such that you'd rank him over similarly projected players because you could get this extreme outlier sort of performance relative to guys that can do that. Breakout. Yeah. His age at level is, 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 is pretty amazing. It's true. It's true. Uh, could be worth holding for a little bit uh, and waiting for some sort of standout stat cast event where, oh my God, he hit the ball 116. Let's sort of reevaluate what we think of his power. Yeah, maybe he hits a ball and it explodes like Benny and Sandlot. I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, uh, one cool little thing uh, for people, enterprising people that uh, want to look into this. Eric Longenhagen, it's on his Twitter feed. It was like a late night, breathless, you know, in the dark uh, tweet, but it was pretty cool. Uh, he figured out that uh, the parks that were that were equipped for Statcast for spring training. Are still emitting their spring their their Statcast information, um, and now they're minor league parks. So if you go to and I think he said they were Florida State League um, FSL uh, uh, teams. If you figure out which one of those teams is also a spring training facility, um, then you can go to those games. You can get the game log ID from those games, and then you go back to Baseball Savant and you click on the. You know, when you when you're on Savant and you click on a game and then you put that six those six numbers in in the major league uh, Savant ID and it just loads a Savant page for, you know, like a Savant game day page where it's like, here are the top exit velocities for this game. That's actually a really good hack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Kudos to Eric Longhanger for figuring that one out. So um the one thing about it is it's not it it's it's for those intrepid users out there that are listening. It's 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 uh it's not like a oh there's a like a nice little leaderboard where I can just check it out. No, it's uh it's gonna be a little bit of high effort. But um but if you do that work, uh you will be ahead. Um and it, the benefit of that stat cast is that some of it is really fast moving stuff. So I think there was a prospect that Long and Hang saw that hit the ball 119. Wow, that would as as soon as a prospect does that, he should he should have a I don't know a sixty power grade at least. Yeah, like and I'm not talking about present, but 
maybe even present, you know, <laughs> like he did it. <laughs> oh, it was 109. Sorry. 109. 109 would be like a 50 power grade or maybe a little bit, maybe 55 or something. Yeah. That'd... 119 would be Stanton That would be 80 power. It'd have to be. But it got me thinking, this conversation with Todd Zola uh, last week on the Athletic Fantasy Baseball podcast, actually two weeks ago, starting tomorrow. But he was he wrote about Max Exit Velo and the lack of correlation to all the other stats that we generally care about. And his conclusion was it doesn't really mean much of anything. And that got me thinking, saying, well, it doesn't mean absolutely nothing to me. Like I'm not quite ready to go that far. But maybe it means that the raw power tool is actually one of the more overrated tools because if you had 65 or 70 grade raw power and your hit tool was awful and you couldn't get to it or you could only ambush just really horrible mistake pitches that only a low A or high A pitcher is going to make, that doesn't really mean you're going to consistently do that later on. Like even though you, just about any professional player with reasonable strength can murder a certain type of pitch on the right day so i don't know it just got me wondering if raw power could be a little overrated it also runs counter to a fair amount of research by alex chamberlain into the benefits of of max exavilo so i'll have to check that out but uh i I think that's a great way to think of max exavilo though generally is is raw power yeah a ceiling a ceiling for what a player might be able to do in that end uh, the other Rays player that I want to talk about is the guy you see on the screen if you're watching us on YouTube well you don't see the player we're not quite there with graphics yet but you <laughs> see his name Vidal Brujan and as I was looking at the Wander results from day one of the minor league season Brujan playing with him at AAA Durham played right field and I thought wow with the infield possibly getting more crowded once Wander comes up I kind of like the idea of Brujan being able to play in that outfield mix too because I think if you if you move him around a lot, he becomes a problem for Willie Adames. Like Vidal Brujan might be a guy that pushes Adames even further into that small side bench role or platoon role. And Brujan, I, I think he's going to do some serious damage on the base pass. I think he's the kind of guy that's going to be maybe even a better fantasy player than a real life player. Which is not to say he won't be a good real life player too. Uh, but I think you know, seventy grade speed for a guy that gets on base is something we desperately need. And if he were to come up and find a regular spot somewhere, I think he'd be worth spending a significant share of a fab budget to go, to go get in redraft leagues. Yeah, I wonder if they're thinking about him. Um, all right, twenty three year old switch hitter can play second. Wonder if they're thinking about him being their next infield outfield guy. Um, that uh, can come in because those those are really valuable players if you can play both. Um, there are if you think about roster construction for teams, you usually think about outfielders as one group and infielders as another. To have a guy who can go in between gives your roster a tremendous amount of flexibility. Brandon Lau is that guy right now, but he's kind of become a starter. He's kind of ensconced there. So, you know, who's the next infield outfield guy? And it looks like it's going to be Bruhan. And the eventual landing place for him might be center. I think Kiermaier is not not only oft injured, but his best tool is defense. And that's got to be, it's already, you can see it in the numbers, but it, it's got to decline. And, um, you know, Margot, I think, is a little bit 
stretched as an everyday center fielder. So if you looked like through the three-year lens on this team, which is basically as far as they go anyway, I think almost center becomes the biggest need. Because you're going to put Wander on an infield place somewhere. Center is the place where you need something. I almost wonder if you look at Kiermaier as a possible trade candidate. Maybe a guy they could try oh, and flip been to the White Sox. To trade him for a million years, dude. Oh my God. If they could do it right now, even in the middle of being competitive, they would do it in a second. They'd pick up some of his money too, I bet even. Call the White Sox. They're in need. Yeah. You got to get to the White Sox before the Marlins do with Starling Marte and Corey Dickerson. <laughs> yeah. It, and that's going to annoy some people that uh, teams that are, well, the Marlins have already sort of fallen out. They're four below 500. I, I had somebody pushing back on the idea that they should just give Monty Harrison a chance in the big leagues saying, well, it's a little early to throw in the towel. And it's like, well, are you already not throwing in the towel by playing Adam Duvall in center field a bit and <laughs> like running Garrett Cooper out there a lot. Like Garrett Cooper is a nice kind of bench piece corner guy, but he's, he's older than 30. Is he on your next really good team? Not in a prominent role. I mean, it, and is he even that great of a situation right now? Like you probably should take a, a bit of a, of a swing at something, you know? Yeah. So and I think what, what irked me, yeah, I was irked. Like, that's the proper word, irked. I wasn't angry. I was irked. Was that the comments Don Mattingly made upon uh, the news of Harrison getting sent back down were, well, we think he's going to be a star. It's like, he's 25. If you think he's going to be a star, you better start letting him figure out big league pitching now because he's not going to be a star at 32 if you keep waiting. Like, you just, <laughs> let's go. Like, pitter-patter. Let's let's make I this mean, happen. Marte's out. And uh, so they're playing Brinson out there now. Uh, Magnus Sierra looks like a, a long-term fourth outfielder. Uh, Duvall was a, a sneaky good pickup, and I could see Kim Eng kind of doing that sort of thing where she continues to sign uh, Aguilar, Aguilar uh, Duvall types uh, to round out the roster. That's um, you know something that a team like the Giants and the A's, you know, I think they're. Uh, have the best records in baseball right now. <laughs> oh, man, put that one in your ledger. Um, uh, you know, that's what the Giants and A's do all the time is pick up guys like that. But I think you're right to kind of be like, you know, uh, when are these guys going to pan out? And, you know, having seen Jazz Chisholm pan out, uh, you know, giving the a guy a, a starting role and saying you're our center fielder or you're our right fielder um, has some value in that process, but it also kind of is an interesting microcosm of what they've done in the past. And I don't want to put this all on Kim Eng or, or the current regime, but they took a lot of long shots in Lewis Brinson, Monty Harris, Isan Diaz and Jazz Chisholm. And, you know, those four guys are not just guys they picked up off the scrap heap. They were all key players in huge deals you know, kind of, they were guys they went out and acquired. And I would say that they were one for five on those players. Mm-hmm. And going, did, was I, did I name four players? <laughs> I, think you, I think you may have named five, maybe. Uh, well, there's Sierra. You can throw Sierra in there. But anyway, yeah. they're, they're one for those players. And uh, now think about the team we just talked about, the Rays, or maybe even the Red Sox. Uh, and some other teams that trade for floor seemingly, and when they when the Rays went and got 
um, Mejia and Patino. I think they say, look, worst case scenario, we got a competent backup center uh, catcher that can take over cheaply for Zanino next year and be, you know, maybe a second division starter, but not, you know, a competent catcher. And um, uh, we got at worst case, like an eighth inning, ninth inning reliever, but we think can be a starter, right? Uh, I think that's in some ways trained for floor and ceiling, but it's it's there's good floor there. It's not like Brinson or 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 uh, Monty Harrison, right? Um, and then you think about the Red Sox trade that got panned so much. Uh, you you say we get Verdugo at least for Moogie Betts, right? We get Verdugo. That's a lot of floor with some ceiling, and then we also get Jeter Downs. Um, which, you know, probably worst case scenario, a guy who can move around the infield um, and use a lot of positions and probably some sort of major leaguer. Um, so I think that this does have ramifications for fantasy where it's like, like think about wh- like the other person that you're trading with. If they have Wander Franco, you have to just blow him out of the water to get him. So most of the trades do not include floor and ceiling. And if they, if the other team thinks that they have a ceiling guy that also doesn't have that many warts, they're very unlikely to trade them. So when you're trading with people, you should maybe trade for floor and just be like, this is going to be a useful guy, you know? And when you're drafting, maybe that's when you draft for ceiling because, um, you're not, you're not trading away assets. You're not, you're not working the same way. You're, you're getting someone that's new to the system. So anyway, I thought I thought I think you'd rather be the Rays and Red Sox than the old Marlins organization. Yeah, I think maybe Red Sox fans and some people around the game might say, well, they traded away Mookie Betts. They should have got two more floor guys to go with the two floor guys they got. And then we'd that's, all be happier with that trade. But the that's Betts fair. Contract I'm not saying sort of specifically every trade. It's a little bit more of a yeah, sort yeah. Of, a, of a of an overall idea. Well, you think about it, though, from the standpoint of keeper and dynasty leagues that you've played in or any league with young players. I mean, redraft leagues have young players in them, too, so I don't want to just make this a long-term thing. But people tend to be pretty clingy to their own prospects, especially tooled-up, hyped-up players. I mean, I think about the players I take chances on a lot of times. If you think about it like a portfolio, yeah, I want mostly high-risk, high-reward types with a few good floor guys sprinkled in like if i get 10 prospects seven or eight are going to be very young high risk high reward types Mm -hmm. and the other two might be college bats that i really like or college arms that are going to be quick to the big leagues because then i've got guys that can either help me soon or they're going to be high enough on prospect lists where i know i've got trade ships if i need them like that's generally how i look at it so examples like Carlos Colmenares and Christian Hernandez were guys that were drafted in keeper and dynasty leagues in the last few months. Those are the kinds of guys I want because if they pan out, they're future stars. And if they don't, they're easier drops in the long run. Like in leagues, we only keep 10 prospects. If you don't like what you see in the low levels, easy come, easy go. You make that move, let them go and maybe get them back later because oh. the development's going to take longer than you want. We have like the Evan White carousel with you. You Evan picked White. him up because he had good oh. A ball numbers. You mm-hmm. dropped him because he got injured and you like maybe he he slopped off a little bit, you know. Then you were mad that you didn't have him because he got signed to the deal and got put in the big leagues. And now you're probably like, 
No, I got him back in that league. That <laughs> league folded. Back. Now you got him back for the crap. <laughs> the league folded, thankfully. Oh, uh, thankfully. I'm actually bummed. I'm bummed the league folded just in terms yeah. of Evan White being a, a key piece for that team ever becoming good. Like I'm a, I'm a little worried about that uh, in the long run. But I, I think this general philosophy works. But I think it's easier to get attached to those top-end prospects. You're right. Anybody who's got Wander or Julio Rodriguez or even Spencer Torkelson, maybe Torkelson's the kind of guy that if he gets off to a slow enough start, you can find someone willing to move him generally they're clinging to those players because they see future titles on their roster. They see those players and think that's the next player or next group of players that's going to make my team win this league year over year over year. So you have to move and get players before they pop or you have to move on guys that have that steady floor and then can still take another step forward that people might be overlooking, right? So this is where it's easier to trade for a Brandon Marsh than it is to trade for an 18-year-old who is playing at A-ball for the first time, who's also a similarly ranked prospect just by comparison. So I think this philosophy does hold up pretty well for most of the leagues I played in. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then maybe even take it to the Rays level where you don't even bother training for the prospects that are super hyped and you just identify some interesting young major leaguers that haven't really popped yet, you know? Uh, maybe someone who's worn out his minor league, uh, his rookie status. And, you know, someone has to decide, oh, do I put this guy in my roster or not? Like if Andrew Vaughn finishes this year, like hitting 280 with 12 homers, right? 15 homers. In an OBP league, it might be a little different. He's probably going to have a standout OBP. But in a non-OBP league, that might be the time to go trade for him. You know, and it might be easier to get Andrew Vaughn in that situation, even if you're rebuilding, than it would be to get, it would be way easier to get Andrew Vaughn than to get Julio Rodriguez, right? Yes. But maybe, maybe be the race. And maybe Andrew Vaughn in the second year uses that OBP better, has a, de- he has decent max power because his max EV is all right. So maybe he taps more into his raw power and his second year, all of a sudden he's a 280 35 guy. Yeah. I'm trying to think of another good example of uh, what went right. Uh, if you were trading for Jesse Winker when he wasn't showing game power in the upper levels go. of the minor leagues, and you were trading for him because you said good hit tool, everything everything here says hit tool. Like he yeah. is going to hit, and w- the power should come eventually. And whether it's sort of averageish power or something better, maybe we don't know on that. But I'm getting a guy who's going to the big leagues, who's going to play on the big side of a platoon at a minimum, and I might be getting something more. You timed that really well. If you got him back in 2017 or 2018 when he was first breaking in, especially if you traded for him in like 2016, the first time he got to AAA and he hit three homers in 106 games that year, that was probably the lowest Jesse Winker's value had been in two, maybe three years in keeper in Dynasty Leagues. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to find somebody like him. Um, I've got some, I've got, it's the Fangrass board sorted by, uh, future value hit tool. Um, I got a player for you. I, I wrote him up for my columns. So I'll throw him out on the pod. I think I, people... I think I know who it is. Isaac Paredes. Ah, there you go. I was going to go with Corbin because... Carroll. I think he was in your article too. Yeah. But I think Carroll's... Carroll might be He's a little too, harder to get. Too hot. Yeah. If you look in the right places, you're going to find pretty aggressive ranks on, on Corbin Carroll. I do think. Paredes is more of a hits, controls the strike zone well, and we're not quite sure on the power ceiling. We're not quite sure where he plays, but on a rebuilding team, a guy that hits the way he's hit in the minors at the age at which he's done it, 
that guy finds playing time eventually. And I know it's complicated. Miguel Cabrera's got years left on his deal, and he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. So you can't just like shove him out the door. I know it doesn't work like that. That's not how the game works. But you have a bunch of other guys in that roster who will not be on a playoff team. And they're certainly not going to be on a Tigers playoff team. Mm -hmm. Those guys need to go. Once you get those guys out, Miggy really falls into the background as just a once or twice per week bench piece. You can keep Jamer at first base. You get your DH spot to float. And a guy like Isaac Paredes finds a spot pretty quickly. So I'm looking at guys like that who have played enough to lose the prospect status and are just just flat out guys that hit. That's what they do. And guys around his age, like India is a little bit like that, but you know, um, uh, he's, he's already playing and doing decently well, but um, some older prospects in the back end, Nick Gonzalez um, is already 22. And uh, you know, some people, you know, don't have, are not that excited about him. He's a back end top 100 he might be an interesting pickup, um, and uh, I see Paredes here as a future value sixty. Uh, but also, um, uh, who was the other name that I, I was just looking at? Oh man, Jacob Amaya, uh, shortstop in the Dodgers organization. Never know what happens with Corey Seager. Xavier Edwards, also with the Rays. Uh, a little bit older. We haven't heard from him. We don't know what's going on, you know, outside of the top 100, but uh, interesting player. Yeah, I think with Edwards, there is some speed. So you, you could get just a, a really nice source of steals down the road if he's able to do enough to get a regular role. Uh, so it's like hit tool and speed with almost zero power. I do think you want to be careful with guys that potentially have no power at all <laughs> that is that is one way it can it can bottom out but i'm curious to see what the rays are doing with edwards uh, this season how much they move him around defensively and you know if he if he does get a little stronger if he does add something to what looks like a pretty pretty low power profile but uh hopefully hopefully that is helpful as uh you know it's, it's that time of year where people are starting to get the itch to make trades and who you get even as throw-ins back in those trades it's really important, and there's definitely an opportunity for the guys that have graduated off prospect list to either be replacements off the wire or to be throw-in type players in those deals. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, you know, let's get to our first prospect of the week segment in almost a year, probably more than a year. I don't think we did any prospect of the week segments at all in 2020, probably late 2019. So we're probably pushing 20 months since we did one of these. A little bit difficult without the minor leagues. 
very difficult without numbers as people who number scout and don't get a lot of live looks at prospects. Uh, it kind of points us to a, a question, you know, what is actionable with prospects coming out of 2020? What What is going to get you excited about somebody when you're looking at the early days and early weeks of performances at any minor league level? I'm hoping that, you know, more and more of these, uh, you'll see these player development feeds on Twitter. Uh, Giants, Mariners, uh, a couple other teams have these things. Uh, we'll tweet out. Um, and I know that, like, there's a bit of a saturation on the major league level where people are like, I don't care about the exit velocity on that homer. And I hear you, man. I think there are better stories to be told than that ball was hit 112 at a 26 degree angle. It's not, not the most compelling story in the world. Um, but when you're talking about minor leaguers, like you, uh, you like you're talking about raw power, right? Like even if it's just raw power uh, to hear a guy hit 115 or 118 or, uh, you know, as a starter, uh, at 96, like, you know, that'll, that'll, that'll pop for me. Um, and then I, I tend to think, um, a fair amount about strikeout and walk rates just for both hitters and pitchers. I think that, uh, there's, they're very powerful. Uh, they've been proven to be super powerful, um, in the major, major league level and smaller samples. Um, and they just tell us a lot about it. So my prospect of the week, uh, is Evan Carter, who I'm stealing, uh, from Jared Seidler at Baseball Prospectus, who had a little mini thread on on Twitter today where he was talking about how he is a guy with a capital H, a capital A, and a capital G. Um, and uh, doing some myself, um, Evan Grant had uh, his fall instructional league numbers, which were 304, 467, 446. Pretty amazing. As many walks as strikeouts. And his, in his debut game, he didn't get a hit, uh, but he walked three times and struck out twice and um, uh, has really good speed. I saw a, a nice play where he scored uh, scored on a, uh, on like an error. And um, on top of that, uh, center field for the Rangers. He's in high A now, but just as we talked about um, how aggressive teams might be and how things might move. I could see him moving fairly fast because, um, you know, I think, a, I think an a ball, like he's in low a, I think a low a assignment might've been in the cards for him anyway. Uh, so what happened to that year of instructional and, and alternate like instructional, what happened to that year? He, he must've developed some. So what I'm saying is I think it's highly likely he finishes both a balls this year and is in double A next year. And if next year he's raking in double A in June and Leotis Tavera still sucks and uh, Evan White looks like a fourth outfielder, which I think he is. I, I know the timetable says 2024 on Evan Grant, but there is a chance uh, that, you know, things get wonky in the next couple of years. And you're talking about a 2022 late season debut in center field for Evan Grant. Uh, sorry, Evan Carter. Carter Grant is the writer. <laughs> Evan Carter, yeah, not wow. the guy, not the guy covering be, the Rangers. That would be amazing. I don't think the he'd Dallas be a very Morning good News. That'd be a, player, an incredible but... Benjamin Button trick. I mean, I've never met Evan Grant. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think he's someone you want to have on your keeper and dynasty rosters. Uh, seems like a nice enough guy on Twitter, but. Uh, 
Yeah, Evan Carter is the guy that, that you want to look. If there's some other guy in the system named Evan Grant, and we see roster rates like tick up to like 2% or something on CBS. <laughs> Eno like, bump. Like, what happened? <laughs> Who's this Evan Grant guy we've never heard of before? Why is he at 2% on CBS? That would be. Uh, I didn't make funny. that mistake from the very beginning, did I? Just after I mentioned Evan Grant. I think you, I I think you got an Evan White in there instead of an Eli White. So. <laughs> All right, well, I got it all wrong. The guy's name is Evan Carter. <laughs> Setterfield for the Texas. Uh, actually, not even Texas. Where is he? He has a funny name. Not as funny. East Wood Ducks. Down East. It's just like yeah, one, of, one of my favorite down places. <laughs> one of my favorite. Uh... Down East. <laughs> Anywhere from, say, Maryland to Miami. <laughs> yeah. Everything in my world is about up north, and uh, we never like down east is Chicago for me. So um, you know Chicago's fine, but I've never thought of referencing it that way. So, but it'd be, it'd be like if <laughs> if the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers became the up <laughs> north Timber Rattlers, which they probably should, and it would sell a lot of merchandise. I think they were the, the if, if they were the up north Utter Tuggers, whatever they called themselves, like for a, a game. It would it would be the most popular thing in the state until Packer season started. But aren't are you is your is your prospect of the week on the Rocket City team? Oh, the trash pandas. Yeah, or the or the trash pandas. <laughs> trash pandas. Trash pandas. It's the trash pandas. Uh, that's a trash. Uh, it's Hunter panda Brown right there. <laughs> Hunter Brown is uh he is a member of the trash pandas nice. and he is not a trash. Panda. Uh, <laughs> emphasis is very important. I, Hunter Brown's pretty interesting because the Astros pitching development is really good. And I think if we look back to the shortened season and the number of players they had who made leaps from A ball to the big leagues, I think Enoli Paredes was one of them in the bullpen. Uh, Luis Garcia, who I know you really like, was one who did that and has, has done it in kind of a swing role, getting some starts, and he's handled that pretty well. I think we could see them be pretty aggressive with a guy like Brown if he hits the ground running at double A. Uh, kind of a non-traditional background, D2 instead of a, a power like D1 program, pitched at Wayne State, was a fifth rounder. The stuff's always been good. You see above average grades on the fastball and the curveball. Looks like he's got a decent slider. The command's been the issue to this point. That apparently is getting better. Jake Kaplan had a really good Astros notebook. One thing I did in my prospect piece was I tried to gather as many links as I could to all the great stuff that our team beat writers have been putting together looking deep into their minor league system. So I highly recommend, even if you think the stuff I wrote is worthless, read the stuff everybody else wrote because that's very insightful. And they're the ones talking to managers and farm directors and people around the minor league players throughout uh, the shortened season. But you know, I think it's just trusting this organization. I think with all the attrition and graduation they've had in that system, Hunter Brown is the number one pitching prospect in the Astros organization. They still have a pitching need. I mean, they, they, they could, they could, they're one injury away from being like, who's next. <laughs> yeah. And I think in a lot of instances, he has not seen his prospect ranking get a boost yet. Like he's one of the few guys, like, as I was writing my piece, I kept looking at, at James Anderson's rankings to get a feel for, well, how much has he moved on Alec Manoa and Michael Harris II? And, of course, James, very good at what he does, quick to respond to these things, already had those guys elevated to where, you know, close to where I would put them if I had a, a ranking set of my own. Hunter Brown, though, is buried on James's rankings, 
and that's a big set of rankings. It's 400 deep. He's at 362. So if you're looking for a big mover, a widely available keeper in Dynasty League guy, Hunter Brown is the guy that you want to go out and get. Also, uh, amazing how, uh, because we're playing so much catch-up, and I think I'm, I'm stealing a point from you. Anybody listening, this is DVR's point first. I'm just stealing it because that's how shows work. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, it's amazing to look back at that list, right? And, and because we're playing so much catch-up and, and, and we're getting all this information, we just got all this information from the assignments, right? That, that's so much information. It's so much information that, frankly, I haven't seen a great piece. Like, your, your piece was very good at, at starting to do it. But, like, there's, there could even be, like, a more uh, a comprehensive one that really looked at, uh, at the which organizations were the most aggressive and, and, and started to tease some of this stuff out. But we just got so much information. I think everybody who makes a prospect list should have a new prospect list next week. Yeah. And that's not the normal schedule. No. No, it's not. It's usually kind of a mid-season update. Baseball America has like a kind of a rolling hot sheet, whatever, but it's not quite the full update. We, like we would normally, and and listen, I know, I know there's a lot of work, and I'm not, I'm not <laughs> asking, I'm not asking everybody uh, to to do more work. Uh, thanks, Eno. Uh, now all these people are asking me for a new prospect list. I just finished my prospect list. It took six months. It took the whole off season. Thanks, you dick. Uh, but maybe some sort of uh, uh, update to it where you just push around games and you don't like reimagine the whole list right that's that's the one thing that's so hard about a prospect list you know when you make it from scratch is like it's like when i did my first uh pitcher ranks at, of the new season i reimagined that i didn't even look at my old one i didn't move guys around i was like i've got stuff numbers for everybody i'm gonna just start over and so i think that's what the off-season list is like and what the mid-season update is like let's just start all over but let, let, let's have in the next week or two uh, one where you just took the the list that you did in the off season and you moved guys around, right? Because there's the the differences. I I would imagine I've never had to maintain public facing prospect rankings in my life. It's never been part of my job at RotoWire. It's never been part of my job at the Athletic. Might be something I have to do for fantasy purposes real soon. So I know it's going to be difficult. I know it's going to be really difficult. But I've done regular fantasy rankings before, and I know that the further down the list you go the less conviction you have in player 67 versus 68, right? So it doesn't take much to flip things around. You can move a guy 15 at the bottom sometimes if, mm-hmm. when he gets really far down. Right. And I, I do think it's good to account for these things sooner rather than later because, I, again, having done big sets of rankings before, if you wait four to six weeks until whatever June 1st, June 15th, whenever that next normal update would be, the amount of work it's going to take to update it is going to be more than usual. It's going to be worse (laughs) than usual. So you might as well start the process now and avoid some of that volatility. But my thought, and I put this in the column too, is just that because some people do not look at more dynamically updated lists, there will be opportunities to leverage value in trade because the lists won't necessarily catch up to what's happening on the field as quickly as they ordinarily would like the, the lag will be worse. Like there's always a little bit of lag. I think there's going to be a lot of lag this year. Yeah. What was it? Uh, we picked up two prospects in devil rejects and one was Evan Carter. Um, I'm trying to think of what the other one was, but yeah, you gotta like some of these guys will be free. You know, some of these guys, if you're in these deep leagues, like we have in devil in devil's rejects, 
um, you know, th- then you can just go to the waiver wire and pick them up and, and you sort your own guys better. You know what I mean? Like be on top of your own guys better. Um, and, and realize when there's a chance to just pick up a guy that may be at the back end of a, of a, a top 100. Like that's what Jared Seidler was saying is that if he ranked uh, a top 100, um, right now he would do, he would put, uh, he would put, uh, Evan Carter on it. So, uh, let me just see here real quick if I can get my roster up uh, on my phone. That's why it's taking forever. Who was the other prospect that we picked up? Nah, I can't remember now. I wonder if Hunter Brown's available in that league. I know it's a really deep league with people coming at it from a lot of different angles. So, if there's a league yeah. where he's rostered, it's Devil's Rejects. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he is, actually. Um, yeah, I can't remember now who it was, but... Uh, yeah, you gotta you gotta sort of. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you need to like maintain a full list yourself, but you gotta kind of look at your guys and kind of judge where you think they are and 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 try and stay on top of it. Yeah, and I gotta come up with a, a methodology that I'm comfortable with if I'm going to put a list out there at some point. Because without a method, I think you're gonna get completely rocked by the 2021 season. It's one of the more difficult seasons I can imagine trying to get into something like that for the very first time. Uh, but the other thing that's interesting about the Astros real quick, Pedro Leon is starting the year at double A. And when they signed him initially, I thought, well, he's a center fielder. Primarily, they let George Springer go in free agency, didn't really replace him. Maybe they have visions of him taking over center field before the end of the season. Apparently, he's going to play a lot of shortstop at double A. So it's an aggressive assignment, to be clear. But it kind of tempers my enthusiasm about him getting a chance to contribute before maybe September. I don't know though. I mean, you could read it a couple of ways. Maybe it like, maybe they're just trying him at shortstop and you could almost go a week. Like remember when they tried your mean Mercedes at third, it took like two games and they're like, ah. <laughs> they gave him one start at first base this season. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they could just be like, Hey, let's try Leon at short for like a week. And then they're like, this is, this ain't working. Uh, and then he goes back to center. And then Miles Straw is still kind of predictably not good. You know? Who knew? Who, who could have yeah, seen that coming? Knew? And, uh, you know, they do they can't play Tucker in center. But, like, it may just be like, oh, hey, Leon, in September, maybe August, July. Like, just be like, we're going to pull the plug on the Straw experiment. We're going to pull the plug on Leon at short. Like, things can change pretty quickly. So I would say yes. Uh, generally, I think that maybe they're grooming him to be the Carlos Correa replacement. The other thought here, and Leon's not necessarily the main reason to think about it this way, but teams are going to be wrong about some assignments for players in both directions. They're going to have some guys that they pushed and were too low, and they're going to have some guys they pushed too far. I think we're going to see more players going down a level fairly quickly. like, And we're going to see more players moving up levels faster than usual too. Yeah. I just think th- there's going to be some some chaos that results from all of this. Like as well as the organizations know their players, they're still going to see things that they don't like right away and have to make some changes. Yeah, and remember when the Giants were like in the business of making waiver claims and like giving a guy 2 weeks and then moving on? Like there may be that sort of 2 to 3 week thing where people are like, "Whoa, we were totally wrong." Uh and and I think of there's there's another guy, so there's two guys from Cuba both started in double A, both playing positions that could be of need for their teams this year, um, and both have wildly different Cuban stats. Just 
I just this is just a fun comparison. So Pedro Leon came over. Uh, he was in Cuba at 20 years old and uh, hit 383, 467, 789 slugging uh, with a 1300 OPS. Murdered the league this year, maybe not. Yoelke Cespedes, dude, we love him, right? Oh, and what, 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 how old was Leon? Leon was 20, so he's actually a little bit older. But uh, uh, here's Pedro, here's Yoelke Cespedes, 20 years old. Hit 319, 355, 389. Uh, and like, and that team, dude, <laughs> just a little sidebar here really real quick. When we were like preparing for this show, the end of the White Sox game went down and it was, it, it was just like a masterclass in like, what the hell is Tony La Russa doing? Just. Like, what the hell was that? Uh, so I think he did a double switch to get Liam Hendricks in the game, which, fine, I guess he needed someone to bat in the ninth, and he wanted to get Liam Hendricks in, did, maybe did a double switch. It's it's NL game, right? So, so anyway, that guy made the last out, so then Liam Hendricks is at second base as the ghost runner, and they get a hit or a walk, or they hit a hit, Liam Hendricks is at third, they have first and third with one out in the 10th inning. Liam Hendricks is the runner at third. And you're like, what is Liam Hendricks doing at third base? Like, I don't understand anything. And then, then Billy Hamilton comes into play. One out. You think, okay, just Billy Hamilton, do no harm. You know, do no harm. Just strike out and get out of here. You know, <laughs> like, like, you know, uh, just do no harm. Instead, Tony Russo has, has Larry Garcia take <laughs> off from first base. Gets thrown out by a mile. Was this to like maybe uh, like get out of the double play? No, Billy Hamilton's not going to get. It's not going to be a double play. He's not going to hit the ball hard enough. He's not. He's gonna be too fast. He's not going to hit the double play. Uh, is it to maybe get Liam Hendricks to steal home, like to have them throw the ball around? Well, anyway, the the result was a very predictable two outs now with a guy on third, and it's Liam Hendricks. So it's not like he's scampering home on a wild pitch. <laughs> And Billy Hamilton finally strikes out, and you're just like, Larissa, man, what are you doing? Anyway, uh, they have some obvious needs. We were talking about Kevin Kiermeyer as an option out there. Um, Adam Engel is going to come back. I think Adam Engel and Andrew Vaughn could, could combine to give them like a league average situation in one outfield spot, but they need a second outfield spot. So that's why we're kind of wish casting people onto the White Sox. And uh, you could look at Cespedes' name and say, oh, here's the top bat prospect for the White Sox. But that's all a relative term because the White Sox graduated all their guys. Um, and we just pointed out that Cespedes had a 389 slugging in Cuba um, in a league where Pedro Leon doubled that. And then uh, uh, Luis Robert's uh, Cuban stats, I just love them. They're pretty good. Um, 401, 526 OBP, 687 slugging. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, so Cespedes is probably not the answer uh, how they overcome this. But I think there's 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 good. one move that has to be done. Because Angle can be like a one-win one guy. Vaughn can be like a one-win plus guy. I argue that they need two. That's why I think you the Marlins, who have two, that they should trade with Starling Marte once he's healthy 
and Corey Dickerson. They could send both to the White Sox, and they get the upgrade in center and left. Duvall's got to be on a short-term deal too, right? Like, why not just send, send the whole Duvall? bundle? Send all three. Has it ever happened before? Three major league outfielders getting flipped in the same deal and all having spots in the new I'm just roster. Give you our whole starting outfield. Yeah, we got some young guys that we got to play, so you know we're just gonna need to take all three of these guys. <laughs> it would be funny. Is I bet you Kim Ang would do better sending those three out than the last regime did sending out Stanton. Oh. And, you know, and, oh. Wouldn't that be uh uh wouldn't that be a thing, man? <laughs> I mean, wow. I think <laughs> yeah. to your point though, Yuleki's Cespedes is seemingly unlikely to provide a, a significant offensive upgrade in center field this season. If he gets there and plays, it's because they think he's a good defender and something didn't work out with the other things they tried more likely than not. I don't think it's because he completely mashed at double A AA and triple A and wildly exceeded all of our expectations. That's the vibe I'm getting based on some of the numbers that we're able to pull from his time in Cuba. Uh, but man, it's it's wild out there, especially at the end of that White Sox-Reds game. What what a disaster. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, you know, we had a couple questions come in about some early X stats. And I know this is something that Katie Wu has written about for The Athletic, about Matt Carpenter in particular. Are we at a point now, a little more than a month in the 2021 season, where we can look at X stats and the difference between X stats and actual stats to this point and draw some conclusions about a player being either very lucky or in the case of Carpenter, very unlucky with the bad balls that he's hit so far this season. Well, Carpenter was funny is like, this is maybe the like millionth time that I've, I've like this story has been told. It's, about the, it's like the third time. <laughs> it, like the first, the first time it happened, I thought this was the end for Matt Carpenter. And most people said, no, it's not. And they were right. He came back and he was great. Yeah. Stats. And the second yeah. time it happened, people said, look what happened last time. He's going to bounce back. And he really didn't. And, that has me saying, I think he's actually done for good this time. But it's really hard to say that when you see him with the biggest difference in actual Woba versus ex-Woba among all qualified hitters. Yeah. Um, and when it's the difference is that large, um, I suppose it's worth paying attention to. It's just complicated by the ball. I'm sorry. It's complicated by the ball. The ball is about plus one EV across the board. And, you know, Alex Chamberlain just, Chamberlain just had a piece on Fangraphs where he's like, he uh, rejiggered barrels. And he basically, the 
the number for barrels used to be kind of around 97.5 for for exit velocity. That's where you start um, gathering barrels, and he just put it up to 98.5 because that's what that's what the ball how the ball is performing, and so you that's a that's hard to do. <laughs> like the, I don't. You know what I mean? Like I, I can't just like look at a person's barrel number and be like minus one point five EV. Okay, I got it. You know, um, so there's no like. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Why can't that? you do That's that, Matthew? Idiot! Um, such a disappointment. But, um, let me see if I can find uh, uh, Chamberlain's piece here because he did actually do the math for everybody, and. Um, He's very good at math, by the way. Yeah, just, just let's click his name. That makes things easier. My parents used to think I was good at math as a kid, and they don't really know most of my friends that I've made through work <laughs> over the years. If they could only see how much better at math most of the fantasy baseball community is than me, they oh would God. laugh at how good they used to think I was at math. I was. Uh, I did three years of um, what is it uh, of. Uh, I did like linear algebra and like I did three years of advanced math in high school. The calculus. Yeah. Three years of calculus in high school. And they, and everyone was like, Oh, he's going to go for places in math. And like, I got to college and took a math class and was like, what, <laughs> what is happening? Is this another language? Uh, he does not have Carpenter on his list. So I can't tell you, but, um, uh, Fran Mil Reyes had a 24% barrel rate, and the new number is 20%. Um, it's just not its not going to be minus 4% for everybody, but uh, it's like there's a bunch of 0% changes here at the bottom. Well, but the, uh, at the top end, it looks like there is, like the higher your 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 new barrel, your old barrel percentage is, the more likely it is it's actually like 3 to 4 percentage points off. Even with that, though, if you, yeah. if you have to lower it, I mean, he's set, if you lower the threshold to 25 batted ball events and look at the barrels per plate appearance leaderboard, he's Matt Carpenter's away. seventh. Yeah. He's right. I mean, it's Kirilov. Amazing start for him, by the way. We should probably get into that at some point. It goes Kirilov, Otani, Buxton, Devers, Acuna, Fran Mil Reyes. But you're looking barrels per batted ball event. I'm looking per plate appearance. Oh, so that seventh. even factors in the bad strikeout rate, which I think is probably here to stay. He seems like a... 30% strikeout guy at this point in his career. Hmm. I wonder if at this stage of his career, is he that different than a guy that was in St. Louis last year and is now in Philadelphia and Brad Miller, where he's just kind of like, yeah, not a good defender, a little bit three true outcomes, Can't but hit the ball hard does, sometimes. does damage. So I, I would say this though, generally, I don't use those X stats. You know, uh, X Wobo was never meant to be predictive. Tom Tango did a whole tr- thread on that this week. He's the pr- he's the cr- creator of it. It was never meant to be predictive. So um, I don't I don't really look at those. I look at barrel rate though, and he does have a great barrel rate. So you know, however you look, you you kind of figure better days are coming. But I also had to look at him in the context of the last three hundred, four hundred batted balls he's had. Um, which have produced a 214 type average. Are we talking about a situation with Carpenter that is not totally different than Gary Sanchez? He doesn't run well anymore. Mm. You shift the crap out of him. The infielders play back. So he's he can get beat pretty badly by his own X stats because of some things that have changed in his profile over time. Yeah, yeah. I could see that. Yeah. 
So even if he does bounce back, it's not, hey, I'm getting all this back. I'm getting you know 30% of it back or whatever whatever that number actually is. Um, but thank you to Carrie for bringing up Carpenter because we got a question about Tommy Pham from Steve and kind of running Tommy Pham through the same sort of process. I mean, a 7.6% barrel rate, that doesn't look terrible for him. It's kind of, I think, right in the... Geez, that's actually pretty good when you look at it. It's 82nd among 324 hitters with at least 25 batted ball events. So top quarter. And he's never been like a, a huge barreler because he hits he hits the ball a little bit uh, in lower angles. So yeah, I. But he the max EV is up there, so I think he's healthy. The overall exit velocity is there. The barrel rate is there. The uh, extreme eye is there. I yeah. I I remain a uh, total buy low situation on Tommy Pham. I, I yeah, want I, you to hold him. I am uh, to be fair, I have Pham's shares where I'm holding him on the bench. And well, you know, maybe I miss that first big game, but uh you know, I won't miss the whole season, I don't think. And also, I think a guy like this could get super hot super quick. Just because he he's not like an all or nothing, you know, trying to hit homers every time guy. So he's the kind of guy who could have like a 400 average one week and just a ton of hits and maybe only one or two homers. But, you know, and then you know that that team, the the Padres are the most aggressive base running team. So you remember how we talked about he had like one week where he had like four stolen bases and we thought he would have a, a million that year. <laughs> He's going to have another week like that. He's going to have a week this year where he hits 400, hits two homers, and steals four bags. It's going to be fun if you have him in your lineup that week. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I have him in a daily league. I might miss the first <laughs> day, but then, then I'm like, oh, fans back. Let's go. You can miss the first homer and the first two bags, but you'll get the next <laughs> homer and the next two bags. That's the important thing, as long as you get some of it. So, yeah, I just I don't see anything in that profile glancing through it that makes me concerned that he can't be the player we expect him to be i think you get a good average you get power you get some speed if he's uh 260 15 15 the rest of the way i think that plays in a lot of formats and there's a chance he's a little more than that i think the the streakiness is definitely you know worth bringing up so thanks a lot for that question steve uh, i had a question come in about alex wood and the start he's had to this season that question came from ryan i think i hit this point with alex wood you know where i finally stopped throwing that dart because of the health and just the, the lack of innings really over the last few seasons between Cincinnati you. and Los Angeles. And he got you. Yeah, here it is. 22 Ks and 23 innings, sub two ERA. The walk rate's good. I There's nothing on the surface at all that looks bad. This looks like vintage Alex Wood and then some. He's getting a lot of ground balls too. Yeah, I'll just have to tell you, Stuff hates him. <laughs> just absolutely hates him. Stuff plus has the changeup at 82, the sinker at 61, and the slider at 51. Oof, Maybe it's joy. so bad that like it's good again. I don't know. Like actually, when you get to those extremes, you're kind of like, huh? Because it's uh, CSW on the slider is 40, percent which is definitely above average. If it doesn't look like anything else, hitters are seeing that could be good. He's mixing three pitches. Yeah. Hmm. I, I, I just, I'm going to trust my model to some degree and just say like, he's a really good streamer. Holy crap. Look at the projections. They're all under four with like mid one twenties whips. And there's another thing, uh, 
the relationship between how when you should use stuff plus and like when you should use traditional uh, metrics, uh, they actually now I'm going back on what I'm saying. I think maybe you should just use the regular projections because he's made it this far with this stuff, right? He has a career 341 ERA. How much does stuff must plus matter? To me, stuff plus matters a lot more when Shane McClanahan comes up and Ryan Weathers comes up, right? And you have these two guys that you don't know how much to trust their minor league numbers. Their major league projections are pretty much useless, you know, and you don't know what to do. Ryan Weathers comes up and gives you a 95 stuff plus, even though it looks good. And Kyle Bodie had a whole thread about how uh, velocity is not as important in the big leagues anymore that lines up with the research that I've been telling you about on this show, um, which is that velocity is not the number one uh, factor in stuff anymore. And that's it's not because velocity doesn't matter. You need to be able to throw 95 or 94 to get to the big leagues. It's just that once you get to the big leagues, the difference between you and the next guy who can throw 93 is vertical movement and uh, breaking ball velocity. You know, those those two things are very important. Um, and so he had another thing on that. Uh, anyway, so with Wood, it's like, well, he, you know, why not just use his results, you know, to kind of project the future, I guess. Um, but I bought all the shares of Shane McClanahan I could. I was the... I was the guy who went uh, went in pretty deep, I guess. Uh, there's probably, I, I got like three shares and averaged around a $200, maybe like $150, $160 output for those guys in, in NFPC formats. So I went in hard and everyone's like, well, I don't know if he'll get to five, five innings. I'm like, I, I don't care. I think he'll throw a bunch more innings and I think they're all going to be awesome. And then he went out and looked pretty awesome against the Angels uh, with Patino coming in after him. So uh side note from that is um Waskar. Oh, yes, Waskar Enoa. There's something uh, about him that stood out to you, right? It's uh, initially not when we the talked about him either. <laughs> right, you were not that excited about him when he first came up, but something has changed? Well, um there was like a first run stuff number that wasn't exciting. Uh, but mostly it's the fact that his slider has a 125 stuff, right? Um, but his four seam fastball has a below average stuff, and he's kind of a two two pitch guy. Um, and so I thought, you know, traditionally two pitch guys um, have problems with uh, platoon splits. So I thought, here's a guy who's kind of wild, only has two pitches. Lefties are going to get to him eventually. Uh, in that Kyle Bodie um, uh, thread on Twitter the other day, when we were talking about, um, I don't know what inspired it, he said um, platoon splits on pitches are changing, um, and so he basically intimated that sliders to lefties aren't on a problem anymore, and that might be part of the the slider explosion around the league. So I thought I'd look at it real quickly, and I did. I did just kind of a uh, a savant search where I kind of just did. Uh, righties versus righties and righties versus lefties for each for each uh, pitch type, um, and um, you know sinkers have the biggest platoon split, uh, sliders have less of a platoon split, four seam are almost um, uh, uh, neutral, um, cutters um, have less of a platoon split than sliders. So I'm not sure that the ranking overall has changed in terms of the platoon split. Uh, for example, the, the the sinker had a fifteen percent, sixteen percent platoon split. Um, the uh, the slider had a 
7.6%. Platoon Split, the Cutter had a 6%. So they're still kind of ranked like they were before. But I did notice something, dude. When righties throw sliders to lefties, the Woba in the StatCast era has been 283. Whoa. 283. When righties throw a four seam to a lefty, it's 353. When righties throw a sinker to a lefty, it's 376. And here's the big one. When righties throw a cutter to lefties, and cutters, that's supposed to be the platoon neutralizer, right? I learned a cutter. I throw it in on the hands of the lefty. The what was 322. So the platoon split itself hasn't changed, but throwing a slider from a righty to a lefty gives you the best outcomes of all the pitch types. Hmm. That's how good sliders are. Sliders are so good that even with the platoon split, it's still a good idea to throw a slider to a lefty. So, I wonder how many organizations are sorry, behind the book. I, I, I was working with some out, out, out sort of outdated uh, ideology. Yeah, but how many teams are still thinking that way? Well, I think you know with uh, with fast Mike Fast, the the, the leadership, Alex Anthopoulos, and also just looking at Wascarino, they're just like, hey, you know, yeah, he has a changeup, he throws a couple of game. Uh, he's our starter now. You know, they, they, the fact that they were fine with it and went with it um, suggests that they have some inkling about this. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I put them on the on the list of teams that develops pitching pretty well. So I'm just wondering if half the league has a fear of righties throwing sliders to lefties that they shouldn't have, and that's causing some of their pitchers to get hit more than they should. Yeah, wonder. You talk about something else. I'll, I'll try to uh, <laughs> try to run a real quick uh, savant search just to see if maybe uh, there are teams that do this more often than other teams. But uh, I think if it I had does. A piano, I can play it, and then I can just <laughs> a little interlude. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's the wrong song to sing. Um, <laughs> yeah, what? This isn't a circus. Come on now. <laughs> right. All right, so we're gonna do a uh, team. Uh, let's just do team this year. We'll just do this year. Uh, number of sliders from uh, righties to batter hand and lefties. We'll just. I'm gonna do. Should I do raw number? No, I'll do percentage. And okay, so this is percentage of sliders thrown of overall percentage of all sliders thrown by a righty to a lefty. Philly is doing it 43% of the time. 43% of their sliders are from a righty to a lefty. Colorado is second. The Padres with Austin Adams and some other guys like that are third. Cubs fourth. Miami fifth. All right, who's at the bottom? Mm, not good. The Dodgers, 7%. That's a big difference. Hmm. The Phillies doing 43% of this and the Dodgers are doing 7%. Uh, Oakland, 9%. Cleveland, 10%. Toronto, 13%. So, clear divide. And some teams that we think of as being on the front end of progressive, uh, you know, stat-based uh, analysis, like the Dodgers, the Indians, and maybe Toronto, and the Astros are 25th. Um, so, there's a divide here. And it seems like maybe an opportunity. When you have a divide this big, I feel like there's an opportunity for arbitrage, for for uh, doing something differently and acting differently and, and succeeding for it. 
that's how a team makes a trade that you look at and go, okay, that trade seems fine. And then one team crushes the other because they had something in their process that they they knew was going to work or were confident it could work. Like and, an all righty pen where you're just like, yeah, I don't care. You know, with the right with the right righties. All our, sure. all our righties throw ninety mile an hour, you know, cutter or slider hybrids. <laughs> you put up doing research. <laughs> A little humor for the YouTube crowd. <laughs> yeah, you really should subscribe to the YouTube channel and tell your friends to subscribe to the YouTube channel because I have a lot of fun putting random stuff on the screen, and I'm only going to have more fun with that going forward because I'm getting better at it. So. You can't give me new tools because I will use them. <laughs> Absolutely will use them. Uh, we had a couple more questions come in that we're going to save for Friday. There's really good follow-up stuff about uh, pitching injuries kind of related to Dustin May, but also pitchers getting to their max more consistently and some possible downside to that. So we'll address that on Friday's show. Uh, if you want to drop us a line, you can do that at ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. If you don't already have a subscription, you can get one at theathletic.com slash ratesandbarrels. Three ninety nine a month gets you in the door. I don't say it very often, but if you've listened this long and you have not left us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate it if you took a moment to do that. It's a good way to help people who might be looking for new shows to listen to actually find our show. On Twitter, he is at Enoceris. I am at Derek Van Riper. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Friday. Thanks for listening. 